This episode contains discussions including body dysmorphia, body shaming, recounts of fat phobia, spirituality, body-mind connection, weight loss, graphic recounts of bodily trauma, amputation, disability, near-death experiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Body Story Podcast, a show about the way we're navigating the world and the bodies we've been given. I'm your host, Tiffany Eller, and I believe that if one person's story can change the way you look at them, a collection of stories may be able to change the world. Today, I'll be speaking with my very good friend, Sammy Tucker. Sammy is a Paralympic archer, founder of Target Your Freedom Coaching, keynote speaker, and an Air Force veteran. In 2010, just months before Sammy was scheduled to deploy to Afghanistan with an army unit, she lost her arm in a motorcycle accident. This near-death experience shifted her so profoundly that, as she says, the woman that was drug into the ditch is not the woman that was carried out. I went in suicidal and came out excited about life. It's my mission to share the power of transformation with the world. This shift in mindset enabled her to become a history-making Paralympic archer in the 2016 Games in Rio de Janeiro. As a speaker and coach, she teaches personal empowerment to women and resilient skills to corporate teams. Let's get into the episode. Hi, Sammy. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, hon. It's so good to be on the phone with you. Just so good to connect with you again. I know. You and I go way back. You're one of my dearest friends, and I'm really excited that you decided to come on this podcast because I've had the pleasure of hearing your body story, at least parts of it, and I can't wait to share it with everyone. So where would you like to start today? Um, well, let's, I would love to say I would love to start at the beginning, but that's a really weird question because my body story was one that I inherited. And that body story was inherited from my grandparents and my grandparents' parents. We just passed these belief systems about what our bodies are and aren't and how it defines our, our internal identity. So my first real experience of my body awareness came when... Um, we moved away from my grandma and my mom and my new stepdad moved to a town in Iowa and I was out of my element and lost all of my support systems. And it was the first spring day of school and my mom had gotten me a new new outfit, uh, bright yellow shorts and a white t-shirt and I threw them on and I was like running towards school, like so excited and I could hear the kids playing. And then I crested the hill and like everybody was in shorts and it was just that day, you know? And I froze at the top of that hill and I looked and there were just bare arms and legs everywhere. And I looked down at my legs and mind you, I was a skinny little six-year-old and, but I had been watching my mom diet for years and years and years. And it was always, oh, we're on this diet and we're losing weight and we, 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 we. And my, my internal image of what my body was and how everybody perceived it was a reflection of what her internal image was. And so I got so ashamed of my legs and arms at that point that I waited until the school bell rang and I snuck in the side of the school building. And as I approached my classroom, I just couldn't open the door and go in because people were going to see my legs. And so I hid in a janitor's closet and I just had so much shame and I didn't know what to do and I couldn't go home and I couldn't make myself go in the room. And then the janitor found me. And after, you know, freaking out a little bit because this little kid's hiding in the, you know, mop closet, 
um, he drug me to class and forced me to go into class. And I don't even remember the last, the rest of the day. I was just humiliated. But, you know, even though that janitor drug me out of the closet and made me go to class, on so many emotional elements, levels, I was still in that closet for decades. I, I remember the first time that my mom reached over. I was, I was sitting next to her in the car, and she reached over, and I had a little bit of flesh hanging over the edge of my pants, and she pinched me, and she's like, you're getting fat. You know, got to watch that. And it just, I just brought all of that stuff back. And the thing is, is it was prophetic. By the time I graduated high school, I was 198 pounds. And I was unhealthy and I hated my body and I was insecure. And I really never got over that, even though I lost weight and I got down to a size seven or eight. And um, I always felt like a combination of that 198 pound woman and that little girl hiding in the janitor's closet. And I can't tell you how many women I tell that story to. And they're like, God, that's me too. I have my own version of the closet. And I think that needs to stop because we're not our bodies. And I learned that when I lost my arm in 2010 in that accident, you know, that, that could have and should have devastated me even further because I was still carrying around that insecurity that I wasn't enough and that I didn't look appropriate. And that, well, I darn sure don't look appropriate. I don't look enough now. I mean, what it's not a, a matter of weight and do I fit into the latest fashions. I'm just, I have a mangled arm and a missing hand. So it, it took some major shifts to really realize I'm not my body. I'm just in it. Yeah. Can you tell me about the experience of learning that you, I, I don't remember the details of how you lost your arm. So was it that the medical intervention was that you had to lose your arm or was it in the accident? Yeah, it was in the accident. Um, that I was in a motorcycle accident and I hit debris on the road. And as my bike laid down, my hip hit the asphalt and it kind of spun me like a top. And it spun me just right that the sleeve of my jacket got sucked into the drive belt, that belt that, that moves the, the wheel from the motor, just propels the motorcycle forward. Um, kind of like a chain on a bicycle, if people are kind of wondering what that looks like. I, so my sleeve got stuck into that and it, it just, I watched as my arm got ground off. So it ground my arm off from the wrist to the armpit and all my bicep muscle and all of that. And so five days later, I opted to have what was, was left after the elbow um, removed because there was no way I was going to have gain function again. And so I went through, you know, 14 months of surgeries and then I've had several surgeries since then. And I'm, I'm looking at this arm going, Wow. You know, I, I put myself in that ditch because of the, the way that I thought about myself and how I fit into the world. And now my mangled arm is, is my greatest gift because I look at this arm and I think my thoughts created this. And if my thoughts can do something as traumatic as this, then what, can, then what amazing things can I create? And, and I also think that giving myself this you know, this, this amputated limb um, was kind of a primal scream from my soul to wake up, to wake up to my true self and to my innate wisdom 
and to shed the labels that I had taken on as my, as my truth through life, that, that I wasn't pretty enough, I wasn't thin enough, I wasn't fast enough, I wasn't strong enough, I wasn't smart enough, I wasn't born into the right economic structure, I was of the wrong race, all of these things. And so it was a beautiful catalyst for me to look at my body and go, it's not perfect, but God, the rest of this stuff's attached. You know, I mean, it's kind of hard to hate the cellulite on your thighs when you realize you still have a thigh. Right. You know, and yeah. so, yeah, it's been just a really good mirror for me um, of gratitude instead of looking at it of, oh my God, now I've eaten less than before. Now it's, oh my God, I'm so grateful for what I have. And if I want it to look better, I can make that happen, you know? Yeah. Did you have a full circle moment from the little girl in the closet uh, worried about her arms and legs to? when you lost one of those appendages, like did, did that all click at a certain point that you were like, Oh wow, I hated this part of my body for so long. Now look where I am. Yeah, it was, it was that and more. Um, there was this amazing visualization that I, I experienced during that near death experience. And um, I had uh, this one way conversation with the source of all, you know, whatever you want to call it, you want to call it God, you want to call it source, the divine spirit, it, it, it doesn't matter. But I was just flooded with unconditional love. And the messages that I received let me know clearly that I am not my body. And when, when the initial like voice filled the room, it's like my whole reality, it's like I saw into another dimension. And I visualized this little girl in this dirty dress and she had been building up this fortress around her and each brick was like, it was like a concrete foundation of, of fear. And each brick around me was kind of labeled like shame and guilt and insecurity and anger and rage and all of these things. So I could just visualize all these bricks, these bricks and, there was only one window in the room and it was a stained glass window, mostly of red because I looked through the, into the world through fear and anger and shame and guilt. And, and when I heard this, this voice from source, all of those bricks just like shattered and fell. And I watched as that little girl stood up and walked out of that rubble and into a new identity as somebody who is beloved and somebody who has a massive value and, and I have a purpose. And so that was when the shift of, it just kind of globalized into my body image, realizing that I was enough and I am loved and I'm not my body. And it's been such an amazing uh, teaching and healing tool for people because, you know, they're like, how do I get over the fact that I'm overweight? And how can you be so happy when you have a mutilated arm? Where's that disconnect? And so guiding people through looking at why are you believing what you believed? And so I did. I, I looked at my body image issues and, and I'm like, why do I believe that I'm overweight and not beautiful? Where's the evidence for that? And so it really went back to a lot of the messaging I got as a child 
And then I looked at, all right, so where did they get that messaging? My, well, my mom was told that she, you know, wasn't pretty enough and all this stuff when she was grown up and that she was overweight. And, and so she just, her insecurities were fed. And I realized that I just inherited some stories. They weren't even your stories. Weren't even my stories. And Tiffany, the more I talk to people, that seems to be the case. We're inheriting these stories and taking them on as our own truth when they're not true at all. And some of us don't ever get the opportunity to question whether or not they're our own. No, because if you think about it, when we enter the school system, we're not allowed to question things. We're not even allowed to, it's, it starts the process of like deprogramming our connection with our own body. You know, you raise your hand to your teacher, Miss Smith, um, can I get a glass of water? I'm thirsty. And she's like, no, you need to sit and wait and we'll all do that together. So you may think that's nothing, but what is that teaching a child? It's teaching a child that when your body says you're, you're dehydrated, you need water, that you need to ask somebody's permission and wait until they give you permission to nurture your body. Right. Or go to the bathroom even. Yes. Yeah. So we get trained to, it doesn't matter what my body says. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I need to go to the bathroom. I need to get permission from somebody else before I even do self-care. I need to get permission from somebody else if I'm, ask, if I'm allowed to ask a question. And if I'm allowed to ask a question, well, I certainly can't refute the answer, the quote unquote truth that the instructor, teacher, mentor, parent gives us back. We just have to accept it. And so it's a slow programming of don't trust your instincts, don't trust your body, and wait until somebody gives you permission. So in the case of a teacher dictating when you can and cannot drink a glass of water or go to the bathroom, how do you think that translates to people's self-worth or like the, the way that they see their body? Because I think it's one thing to think, oh, I can't get a snack from the kitchen unless my parent says so. And another to say, like, I can't feel this way about my body um, because somebody has let me know that, like, I'm not worthy of thinking of myself this way. Or does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, when you're when you're little like that, five, four, five, six years old, preschool, even, you know, um, we don't know necessarily what our body is and isn't. We are so connected to everybody. We are our, our conscious mind hasn't really woke up yet. We're operating completely on an unconscious level and we are absorbing without context everything around us. So I found myself and maybe some listeners can relate to this as I went through the school system. Well, first I had to hold my, you know, my bladder and my thirst and my hunger and even if I was needing to move, I, I, I wasn't allowed to, my body was not allowed to express itself unless somebody else gave me approval. But that also translates into the mind. Like I remember being identified in kindergarten as somebody that had artistic talent. Also somebody that wasn't necessarily good at reading and math. And so even in kindergarten, I was put into a separate little area where these are the, these are the artists, these are the creatives. And on the other side of the room where these are the intellects. And that labelization, that, that segregation continued throughout my, my education career. So I became disconnected from my own ability to learn, my own mind, my brain. And I saw, like, I just have a stupid brain. I'm just stupid. And so I was disconnected from my own brain and I didn't have permission to learn. Now, I remember my mom going into my, my um, 
eighth grade math teacher and just saying, well, you know, she's just not good at math. So just put her in the lower level categories of everything. And we'll just, you know, whatever the easiest course for math is. And I remember leaving there just so humiliated going, God, I've got such a dumb mind. Why can't I learn these things? And I needed permission from somebody else. Like if the teacher would have said, no, I've got a really good teaching system. I've seen her abilities. I think this will work. But it was just like, no. Okay. So yeah, that's right. She's the, she's the creative one. Um, so I lost, I was so disconnected from the capabilities of my own, my own body, my own soul. You know, I was told I wasn't an athlete either. Um, I sat the bench in every sport. You know, I could do long distance running just because, well, you're just moving forward. There wasn't, I wasn't ever going to win, but it was at least a sport that I wasn't as, um, as humiliated in when I came in last. Um, so I, there was a complete disconnection. And I think that we are taught to ask for permission outside of ourselves. And in our media marketing society, when you're asking for permission on what is okay to look like, well, Tiff, you know what those messages are. You know, your story is amazing, and, and I watched you transform that. You know, they say, shave your legs, shave your armpits, get Botox, get your eyelashes done, have your hair highlighted, wear this outfit, do these things, don't mismatch patterns. I mean, it's just insane. So many rules. Yeah, and, and, and it changes all the time. So we're constantly looking outside of ourselves for, for permission and for our identity of how do we connect with ourselves. Yeah. And the key is to go inside and become that little kid again and go, who really am I? And where is the evidence for all of these insecurities I have? Right. And how much validity do they actually hold? Right. That was huge in my body story was just realizing that like most of the things that I was doing to my body or for my body was just because I had read it somewhere or heard it from a friend or saw multiple people doing it around me. And like looking and being like, wait a second, how do I actually feel about this? How do I actually feel about this? Right. So I'd like to ask you a question on that. Yeah. If you don't mind. So when you had that moment, like, how do I actually feel about this? And how did you know what I and you were? You were having a conversation with yourself, right? So who was asking the question and who was answering the question? Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I think I'd have to think about that. It, it happened at a time where I was just discovering for the first time that I could have boundaries and that I could embody the things that I liked um, because there was even, even my taste in uh, like my interests and stuff throughout my life. I almost felt ashamed of the things that I liked. And so at the time that I finally started to realize these things about myself, I, um, I was doing a lot of personal development and I was in a mastermind, which is, uh, like you get together with a group of people that help you kind of determine what the root cause of your hangups are. Like this one was specific to business. And so it actually turned into more of like a personal development internal development thing for me and I decided to stop shaving like that was my I, I don't know uh it I think being in an environment where somebody was asking me questions to clarify like well why are you stuck here and what got you to this point and why do you say that about yourself and just being in the 
being in that environment of being asked those questions put me in the mindset of asking them of myself and being able to answer them myself. And um, honestly, that's not even the beginning of it because it, it was years and years of, of peeling back the layers of what that inner voice sounded like. But I don't know, being able to ask myself questions was a huge thing for me and answer them honestly. So for my shaving, for example, I realized that I had only ever done it because when I would go out with my girlfriends, I would look at their legs and look under their arms and see like, oh, they're like perfectly shaven. I should be like that too. Um, or, or when I was dating and it'd be like, oh, you can only land a man if you're shaved down completely on every part of your body. And it was all these things that were like shoulds that I didn't need to fulfill. And so I was like, yeah, I'm just going to try this. And it, it took about a year and a half for me to get over the insecurity of having hair on my body um, to, to really feel confident in it. But I learned a lot through that year too about myself. That was long. I'm sorry. This has turned into my body story. <laughs> well, I think I mean, because we, we kind of share that. I, you know, I was a part of the second mastermind that you were in and then we worked together on like your story. And the thing that stood out was you were so curious. You gave yourself permission to be curious and to play and to try things. And you're like, I don't know what I want to do. And, and you would like, ex, you would like go back in your past and, and experience, re-experience um, like memories and go, and, and really we're starting to dissect that. And you're like, I have this passion. So I'm going to explore this for a while. And I have this passion. I'm going to explore that for a while. And I, the thing that really stood out was, you know, if people are looking for who they are really truly, allow yourself to play. Because, you know, I'll work with clients and they're like, and I'll ask them a question, you know, what do you really want? And it'll be the first time they've ever asked themselves that with permission to go inside. And so it's a skill set. It takes some muscle to be able to develop the ability to go inside your own self and have a really safe uh, conversation with yourself. Like, why do I believe these things? Where's the truth for it? Is this really good? Does this align with my values? And I have found that the easiest way to do that is through play. Oh, I totally agree. I think play is so important to every aspect of life. Yeah, it really is. And you played with different, like, what do you want to do? Do I want to market? Do I want a graphic? No, I'm really good at this. Well, I'm also a really good artist. And I watched as you just like played in all of the areas where you have fun and that where you're passionate and your, your life has blossomed. So if we can play with the idea of who am I really and how do I want to relate with this body? Not how people have told me how I want to relate, how you need to relate with your body, but how do I want to? And as I looking at my arm, I'm like, okay, this is a beautiful daily reminder of how freaking beautiful my body is and how grateful I am that everything still works and that everything's still attached. And that sounds really, really simple, but that level of deep gratitude that everything still works and everything's still attached is, is life-changing. Yeah. Kind of globalizes into everything. So it, instead of going, you know, I'm, I just turned 50 
And instead of going, God, I'm getting wrinkles and I'm getting age spots. And, and trust me, I don't necessarily embrace those things. I'm doing everything I can with like natural oils and things to, to make sure that my body is in the best shape possible. But just, I still look at it and go, you know what? That hand may have wrinkles on it, but it's still attached yeah. and it still works. So going back to play, I, I'm curious about how you have implemented play now having one arm because you, you were a Paralympic archer or are, I don't know if you are still actively doing archery, but did, did your sense of play lead you to a path of like going to the Olympics? Yes. Yes. Um, I didn't know how to play before I had that near-death experience. I never allowed myself to play. I grew up in an, in a, in an environment where we were on a ranch and it was work, work, work. And I had fun with my horses, but like this, the experience of play and creativity and just um, being unabashedly me in my expressive self, that wasn't a skill set I had. So, you know, I started going to the gym right after I lost my arm and figuring out, okay, how can I do the things in the gym that I want to do? And so I had to be very creative and I had to ask for help. And, you know, I, I remember going to some CrossFit things and, you know, like enrolling some other team members to help me do deadlifts and enrolling them to help me, you know, do tire rolls. And I just allowed myself to play and express because I could still do it. And was it going to be perfect? No, but I, I looked around and I was like, you know, all these people with these quote unquote perfect bodies don't have perfect bodies. They're scrutinizing themselves in the mirror. You know, maybe they've got their thighs where they want to be, but they're not happy with how their, their chin looks or, you know, they, they're not happy with the, the positioning of their eyes. They're, we're just taught to criticize, criticize, criticize. But when you approach things through play, then it becomes so experiential and you get more of the mind, body, soul connection. And it's less about perfecting something so that you feel better around other people so that you feel more included. It's more about just learning to love yourself. And that's what play to me does. It allows me to explore myself and strengthen my relationship between all of my parts, my body, mind, and spirit. Play is where, the, where creativity is. Play is where you actually learn what you're passionate about. Play is where you learn how to express yourself individually. It's not through structured learning, and it's not through you know, organizational processes, and it's not through getting a certain title and belonging to a certain club. It's how do you connect with yourself and express yourself in the world, and that needs to be fun because life is way too short and way too long not to have fun. Amen. I totally agree. So kind of shifting directions, one of the things you wrote on your intake form was you would like to talk about the contrast of how kids react to your arm and how they question it and how adults handle the same. I feel like that's a good segue from play because children are playful and they get it. So did you want to expand on that a little more? Absolutely. That was one of the first things. Because um, when I, after my accident, my, my residual limb, the very end of my, my arm, my left arm was massively swollen. And so it was about the diameter. I don't know, it was, it was about 12 inches around in diameter, it looked like a club. Oh, wow. um, and I had to hold it out straight for about three, four months. Because um, I don't, yeah, I just didn't have the circulation and healing and all that. So I was walking around with my, like the sword sticking out, this big club. So there's no way I'm getting away with not being seen. 
and kids would would see my arm and their heads would snap and they would just run over what happened to your arm where's your hand and i'd be like it i lost it they're like how is like in a motorcycle accident and i can't tell me how many times they're like well why didn't you just go pick it up <laughs> you know and i was like i tried but i couldn't find it i'm like if you find one will you because i need a left-handed one if you find a left-handed hand around <laughs> just find it and they're like oh yeah just, is it gonna grow back and i'm like no i'm not like that lizard i wish i was and we just have these great conversations and they're like and how do you do this and how do you brush your hair and just all these questions and nine times out of ten the moment that a kid runs over and asks what happens to your hand, the parent gets this panic-stricken look on their face and they're grabbing their child and they're like, don't you ask questions like that. And I'm like, no, stop. Please let, the, let your child be curious because this is just curiosity. I, I, you know, I'm not going to tell you what you're thinking, but I would imagine on some level you saw my hand and, and had a flicker of a wonder what happened. These are great questions because who knows what's going to happen in that child's life? And maybe they'll remember that I was like, yeah, you know, I lost my hand. It's okay. I still have, you know, a right-handed and this is how I put my hair up. And I just made it normal and not this freakish thing. And maybe someday they'll be able to remember that and go, you know, maybe she was on to something or maybe I can look at myself that way. And it might just give them a, an idea of how to look at themselves differently. You, know, you never know how you're going to impact somebody in the future, but I just think that if we as a, as a family and as a community and as a nation allowed kids to continue that amazing incessant curiosity without shaming it, we wouldn't have the problems that we have now. Yeah. I know, I know that the way that I observed you addressing your arm or lack thereof when I was first getting to know you made made me feel like you were so confident in yourself that it like it didn't matter that you didn't have an arm like I I remember the first time I met you I said you have a doppelganger in Seattle and the first thing you said to me was does she have one arm (laughs) (laughs) and is it the left hand one because we could get together and share I'm sure you did say that actually. <laughs> uh, but it, it you make it easily approachable for people to have that childlike wonder, I think, because like I feel like I've talked to you a lot about your arm. Um, and that's not something like as an able-bodied person, I feel is always appropriate with people because it's um, you know, it's very personal and not everybody wants to recount over and over again the trauma that they endured or the fact that they're different and people look at them all the time, but you've kind of approached it as you're very open about it. Yeah. And it gives permission to people to be curious. And so for those of us, you handle, see, and that's exactly how you handled the underarm and the leg hair. Like you were just so open and, and, but you weren't like, this is who I am and you just need to accept it. You were very playful with it. And, you know, I'll never forget the, the first time I saw you in a, in a dress and it was this beautiful tutu and you had these heels and the hairiest legs I'd ever seen. <laughs> freaking rocking it, you know? And I think I said that, I was like, the tutu and hair goes just like, I, I made some crack and you're like, I know, right? And, and, 
Yeah, she just like I think you stuck a leg out and just kind of like did the the Vanna White thing with your arm, and I was just like, it's, <laughs> I was just like, you're just totally rocking it. And so you gave me permission just in the way you expressed yourself with confidence, but also self love. It was self love and not condemnation for I'm standing out because nobody should make me feel like I have to shave my legs and I'm rebelling. It wasn't a, like a feminist. I don't know, thing. It was just you being creative and you're like, this is just who I am. And there was no um, negative energy in how you delivered that message. There was no judgment on others and there was no self-judgment on, on you. It was just fun and creative and this is just who I am. And so that energy gives permission to people to look at themselves differently because you're the first time possibly in somebody's life where they've experienced you know, this, what is this unique, rare unicorn who is okay with leg hair and wearing tutus and like <laughs> doesn't favorite armpits and like, yeah, what is this? Because you're such the anomaly, like I am too. And it gives people a new perspective because you don't know what you don't know until you have exposure to something else. Exactly. I know that like, even knowing you and being able to talk to you, be like, how did you put your pantyhose on today? Like, being able to ask you that question now when I I know this is totally coming from a place of able body privilege so just take it there's no privilege it's just existence and expression there's no privilege well, I, I appreciate that but the privilege is <laughs> every time I'm brushing my teeth and I'm trying to multitask by like making my bed or putting on my shoes or putting on my pants I'm doing it one-handed and every time I do it I think about you and I I think I, I'm reflective of the fact that you do that every day without being able to multitask the toothbrushing and putting on your socks at the same time. But then how, you know, I'm doing it for two minutes a day, not even every day because I can choose to, but that you just get to have to do that. And that puts it in a new perspective for me that, you know, has given me a better understanding of how other people can experience the world and like how much I am going to use the word privilege because it is a privilege to have two arms and to be able to multitask. So just how much privilege I have and like how different things could be, you know, if I lost my arm one day. Yeah. And, and I would like to, to turn that around because I have one handed privilege because I get to look at how I spend my energy during the day and really be efficient with it. Like there are just certain things I don't do because of the time that it would take me to do it. And so I have simplified my life and the processes in my life. And that's a massive gift. It's a privilege to be able to be forced into this way of having to think about things. How am I going to accomplish a certain thing? Where What's the simplest way I can do it? And is it worth the, the time of investment? So I have a privilege in that I get to look at life from that point where, you know, there's, I just can't keep up with everybody that's two-handed. So how I spend my time, I've gotten very, very particular with. And it's been an amazing gift. So I have a privilege that you guys don't have. I never would have thought about that. And I, I get kick-ass parking, so, you know. <laughs> you do get kick-ass <laughs> parking. <laughs> yep. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there's that. You know, so I would I would encourage somebody that if they're thinking, well, that's that's white privilege or that's two-handed privilege or that's able-bodied privilege, see what the privilege of the other person has that you don't have. 
because they have a lens at looking through life that's different than yours. And see if you can explore that and get curious about what privileges could that other person have that I don't have. Yeah. And put yourselves in that in their body and in their experience for just a little bit of time. Like what would and I've often thought, what would it be like to just be hairy and wear a tutu? <laughs> you know, and I'm of Native American descent and so I just don't really grow leg hair. And you know, I can't shave my right armpit with my right hand, so I had laser hair removal. And so I just, I won't ever experience those things. But I was like, that would just be like, and I would watch you and you have this confidence. I was like, what would it be like? Because I can't ever experience that because it's just my, you know, my hair situation. But I was like, that was really, really cool. And I would watch you and I'd try to like get in your body and, and like experience what that felt like. And it was very liberating, very, very liberating. So you've influenced people probably on levels that you don't even know. And this is giving people context into other, I don't know, disabilities or privileged or just situational experiences that might give us a new perspective on how to view ourselves and what we consider privilege and what we consider opportunity and and just a new way of looking at things. And it, I think it's going to give a lot of people a lot of freedom if they choose to go inside and ask those tough questions and look for where's the facts and the proof behind what I believe. And if they choose to go into the body and the mind of the other person who may be missing a hand or is body positive in, in like hair expression. Right. That, that's such an amazing opportunity for growth. Yeah. I'm really hoping that this podcast does provide that type of look into people's lives. Um, I really want it to be healing for the person telling their story to be able to share it. And just sometimes it's getting it off your chest. Maybe we'll have guests on here that have never shared their stories publicly before. Um, and, and they get kind of a cathartic release by sharing. And then I hope that the audience walks away with a, a new experience that they may have never thought about before, or, you know, they have another tool in their tool belt so that they can, further their education and not only body positivity, but what oppression looks like and what privilege looks like, because these things are really important to address. And sometimes it's hard to access them. You said, you know, you hope your, your listeners will walk away um, with maybe a new way of, of looking at things. And, and what I'm hoping is that your listeners don't walk away, that they, that they join, you know, your community and start creating a, a community for themselves of people who are being courageous to break through some of their body image beliefs and change them. And that takes support, Tiff. I, I mean, I'm, I don't want to come across as saying, oh, this is just easy because there's elements that really aren't. I, I, I lost friends when I lost my arm because they couldn't handle for some reason, either the way I looked or that I'd gone through that trauma and people just like, ghosted me and disappeared and walked away and and I saw the physical repulsion on some of their faces and I, and I even had a very close loved one ask me one day I gosh I think I was like a month out from the hospital she asked me how do I go out in public and I was a little confused and, and she said well if I had if I looked like you I'd never leave the house and for a moment that really hurt until I realized that, wow, that's her pain. Like she's projecting herself into my experience and it would devastate her. 
And so it really was a gift to me because when friends started ghosting me or, or they'd have physical, you know, negative reactions, I just realized that on some level, unconsciously, that's how they would feel if they were in my shoes. So it wasn't about me and my arm or how I looked or I was repulsive. It was about something inward in them that they couldn't handle that. And so it gave me a, a huge source for empathy. Um, it also, as an amputee, there are you know, devotees, people that just get turned on by amputees. And so it also, as I started playing with the dating realm, had to be really, really aware of, is this person interested in me because I'm just a freaking awesome person or because I have a disability that like... I'm a fetish. Yeah, and, and, yeah I'm a fetish. So my sensory acuity had to be really spot on. And if I sensed that there's some sort of fetish, you know, devotee thing going on here, I was able to set that boundary and push it away. Um, but again, not going, oh, I'm just this freak and I'm not worthy of a guy that wants a, a you know, a, a, a whole woman because uh, I'm not a whole woman. I had to really realize that, that this is such a beautiful filter for observing what other people's belief systems are based on who they think they are. Like if you have an amputee friend because it doesn't match your image of who you are, uh, that's not about me. That's about you. You know, and if you're turned off by me, well, that's not about me. That's about you. Right. And th then that translates to, you know, I've put on 15 pounds. Am I less of a person? Am I less valuable because of my weight? And, you know, I just want to be vulnerable and, and transparent with the audience. You know, I was 198 pounds when I graduated high school and I never lost that internal representation. Even after my accident, um, I went and looked, I needed to get new clothes and I went into a, a store and, you know, I'm still kind of drugged up on medications and I've, you know, got a big cast on and thing. And, and, and I said, I, I need to find some pants and, and I'm kind of hard to fit because my waist is, you know, there tends to be a gap in the waist and it's always tight in the thighs because I've got big thighs. And the sales clerk looked at me and she goes, oh, my God, I don't think you see yourself correctly. Because I was a size four. I had just emaciated down to a skeleton. I didn't have a butt. I didn't have thighs. But I was still describing myself as somebody who has big thighs and they're always hard to fit in jeans. And it was, it was an eye-opener because a friend of mine was with me and she goes, yeah, you're not seeing yourself correctly. So I was like, all right, let's get in front of a mirror. And I really had to look at myself because it was a new context. All right, I'm shopping for clothes. That old story has to, is no longer true. So I stood in front of that mirror and, and kind of just went over the auditory. What was the story I just told that sales clerk? Because it came out of habit. And I looked in the mirror and I was like, oh, it's not the same story. So I had to rewrite a new dialogue. What is my new story? Hmm. And I would encourage people because I've seen people will lose a lot of weight, but they're still, they've got that internal dialogue of who they are and what their body is. And so, you know, as you're making any sort of transformation, journaling that and then owning it and changing that story as you change. You know, I'm continually getting healthier and I'm eating foods that are good for me and I'm only taking in liquids that nourish my body because it is this amazing temple and start changing our story every day, even before it manifests. 
And you'll start changing the story and the way you talk to yourself. And that will start changing how you express yourself. And then that will start changing your habits. And you'll start building those in. And your body will change. Doesn't need to, but if it's something that you want to do for yourself, really be aware of how you're talking to yourself. Because yours is the voice that you'll listen to the most, which is why you need to know what you're saying. Because a lot of the times we're not saying our own story. It goes right back to how we started this interview. I inherited a story from my mom that she had inherited. And that beautiful day a month after my accident where I found myself, luckily around people who called me on it, just habitually automating this story about what my body looked like. And I had to snap out of it and rewrite that story, but it took intention and it took awareness. Yeah, I think it all starts with intention and awareness. Any type of body acceptance or if you are looking for a transformation, it all has to start with intention. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and so that goes back to the community where, you know, I, I hope the listeners are joining, you know, the Body Story podcast community because there was a lot of people around me that didn't know how to handle my new appearance and they didn't know what to say and they didn't know how to support me. Um, but fortunately, I was, you know, working at Fort Knox and I was part of an army unit and there are a lot of military amputees. So it wasn't a new thing to me. I kind of had a built in support system. You know, the first day I went back to the gym, I was not the only amputee in the gym. Um, so, you know, to the listeners who are trying to change the story they have about their own body image, getting involved in your community will give them people that support them and believe in them and can, can encourage them because your family only knows you according to your old story. And as you start to shift that, that's, you know, people fear change and they can try to convince you that, you know, what are you doing? You, you, know, you think you're something now you've lost weight and, or, or your spouse is like now afraid that you're going to cheat on them and they're going to lose connection and all of the stupid things that come into this. So get involved in this community so that you have people that support you. Because if you're changing the dialogue that you have with yourself, that's going to have to be reinforced from the outside. You've got to change your inner circle and you've got to get that support. We need that. And community is so, so important. And I love what you're doing with this podcast because the body image shaming has, has got to change. And we're going to do it by first loving ourselves and getting in a community where self-love is okay. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of drawing to the end of our time. So do you have anything to leave our audience with today? Oh, you know, I have these three questions that I've started guiding my, my life by. And when I catch myself thinking something negative or doing something that's not really um, beneficial to me and where I want to go, or even in, in like making a business decision or a relationship decision, I ask myself three questions. And the first one is, and you guys can write this down because it's really, I've found it really, really powerful. The first question is identify what it is that you want to um, really examine. So what is the thought behind that thought? Like maybe somebody is out there going, all right, you know what? I want to start shaving, stop shaving my legs. And then they get that, oh, that fear. Okay. So what is the thought behind that? Oh, you can't, you're, you know, you'll, you'll be made fun of. Is it coming from fear or is it coming from love? So if it's coming from fear that you'll be rejected or feared that you won't be included or fear that you're being mocked. So that's just an awareness question. Okay. This thought is coming from fear. Now it could be a fear that is a healthy fear. 
So is it a healthy fear? Like somebody invites me to go skydiving, even though I've gone skydiving before, I haven't done it one-handed. And that raises some fear. So what's the thought behind the thought? It's fear, but it's also self-preservation because I am aware that if your, your, your ropes get tangled, you have to take both hands and pull them apart or your parachute collapses and you die. Well, I don't have two hands. So that fear is a healthy fear. So I can just basically go, yep, my decision to not do that is coming from a good place, a good, a good fear. That's basic survival. If it's coming from a bad fear, then the next question is, all right, so does this, this word or action that I'm examining, is this good stewardship? Is it good stewardship of my life, of my energy, of my body? Well, if I'm wanting to not shave my legs anymore and that's coming from a place of fear, well, fear is not good stewardship of my body, my, my soul's purpose, my true self. So that's, that's a, you know, already failed those two questions. And the third question is, does this expression, action, express my truth? Now, this is one that really kind of can trick people up and they end up spending a lot of time in this question because it forces you to look at what is your truth in this situation if i want to stop shaving my legs does that match my truth well if i what is my truth if i stop shaving my legs would i be less valuable what does your true self say about that and if you say yes i would be less valuable why Whose truth is that? And it really just, it's a, a three-step process that I've found allows me to go inside and start peeling back some of the stories that are other people's stories. And it helps me peel back some of the labels that I've put on myself that really don't align with my true self. So the three questions again are, what is the thought behind the thought, love or fear? Does this action, is this good stewardship? And the third one is, does this express my truth? And with those three, you know, I would encourage people to journal the answers um, because you're going to start finding that you're doing and saying and being ways that aren't really in alignment with your true self. And maybe you're not even aware of what your personal truth is, not your family's truth, not your church's truth or your community's church or truth, but your soul's truth. And it's been a really powerful process for me and my clients have loved it as well. So I would, if anybody wants to try that, I put it out there and I would love to get feedback on, you know, what your experiences are on it. Yeah. Can you tell our audience how they can find you online? Yes. So I am rebranding um, Target Your Freedom Coaching. So at some point that, that new website will be up and active so they can go to that targetyourfreedomcoaching.com. They can send me an email at sammy at sammyducker.com. Um, I have lots of social media. You can find me on Facebook at Sammy Tucker, the number two, uh, LinkedIn at Sammy Dash Tucker, and Instagram at Sammy Dot Tucker. And I will also probably eventually have Target Your Freedom social media platforms as well, but these ones should always be up. All right. Thank you so much, Sammy, for talking to me today. It's been a pleasure as always. Oh, I just love you, hon. I miss you so much. I miss and I'm you. so proud, proud of what you're doing. The world needs this message. Oh, thank you. If you would like to tell us your body story, please reach out to us at bodystorypodcast at gmail.com. 
This episode was made possible by our Patreon supporters and the TBSP team. The Body Story Podcast's editor is Daniel Vogt, our producer is Amanda Ray, our creative director is Emily Fisher, and our wordsmith extraordinaire is Paige Henry. 